This is Deray Olalia, and you're listening to the Dirty 30 episode of the Before the Millions podcast. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. Hey, what's up? What's going on, BTM listeners? DeRay Olalaye here and Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode, another installment of the Before the Millions podcast. Merry Christmas. Today's the day after Christmas, so I hope you guys got what you wanted for Christmas. I know I did. I've been in Nigeria now for about a week, and I'm in Lagos, Nigeria. I got here from Qatar, and I'm currently in my hotel room recording this podcast. And I was just listening to the interview that I did with Tyler, which is the interview that you guys are about to hear. And that interview is 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 amazing guys he's a, he's a cash flow legend he's literally you know a lot of the not not a lot every single thing practically that he said on the show today is right in line with what i believe and i think that and i think that you guys know me well enough by now to know that cash flow in my eyes is the way to achieve your ultimate lifestyle dream we're going to talk to Tyler. We're going to talk to him about how he started off as a police officer making $12 an hour. And he realized that wasn't the path that he wanted to take to financial freedom. Seeing as though he had two kids he had to raise and a government job. This is after police work and a government job that wasn't going to do the job for him. He he looked to real estate and he looked to fixing and flipping. And we'll talk about why and how he transitioned out of fixing and flipping into real estate investing and why it was so important for him to do that. Again, guys, I'm totally in line with everything that Tyler said on the show today. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Currently, guys, I'm in my hotel room in, in Victoria Island. Now, what I'm looking out at is the Gulf of Guinea, literally. I kid you not. I'm looking out at the Gulf of Guinea as I'm talking to you guys right now. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I wish I wish I could, I could show you guys. And maybe if some of you guys follow me on social media, you, you've already seen some of the pictures that I've posted. But, man, the, the view is breathtaking, guys. I, I couldn't be more happier to be able to soak up this moment. But... And I'll be here for probably another two, two and a half weeks. So I'll be doing a lot of soaking, guys, and working, of course. All, you, you guys know I'm, I'm a workaholic. But as we go into the new year, I've had lots and lots of time to think. I've had lots of time to plan. I have had lots of time to reflect. I'm super excited for what this podcast has to offer in 2018. You, and I repeat, you do not want to miss next week's episode. Next week's episode is fire. Just a sneak peek of next week's episode. It's it's a solo episode, so it's going to be just me. 
me and you, mano y mano, and we are going to talk about your 2018 goals. We are going to talk about real estate investing. We're going to talk about how to put your best foot forward and make sure that you achieve and accomplish your goals in 2018. So I'm super excited. So make sure that you tune into next week's episode. But again, before that, (laughs) we are going to listen to this interview with Tyler Sheff, the only person that I've come across so far on a podcast that has a deeper voice than me. And I mean deep. I mean baritone deep. (laughs) So guys, enjoy the podcast. And before we get into it, let's get into the tip of the week. DeRay's tip of the week. Don't settle for mediocrity when you can have magnificence. Don't settle for mediocrity when you can have magnificence. There was a quote I heard the other day. I can't remember who exactly regurgitated the quote, but I do know what the quote was and who said the quote originally. (laughs) So the quote was originally said by Seth Godin. Many of you are familiar with Seth Godin. And he was on vacation. There was another vacationer that walked up to him and said, it's really a shame that you feel you have to work on vacation. And Seth, who was being himself, actually really working, but doing what he loves, turned and responded to the guy and said, well, it's really a shame that you have a life you feel you need to escape from. And I thought that was a powerful statement. I'm currently in Nigeria and I'm in Nigeria for weeks. And when people ask, what am I doing here? Why am I here? How am I able to be here for so long? I try to make sure I don't use the word vacation as a response. Why? Because I'm not taking a vacation from anything. Most people, they work 40-hour weeks or 50-hour weeks, and it's stressful, it's hard, it's long, it's gruesome. So by the end of that week, or maybe even before the week is over, they're ready to party, they're ready for alcohol, They're ready to turn up. They're ready to just release. They're ready to have some fun. They're ready to to take a deep breath, maybe even just sleep because they're trying to find a way to counterbalance all the work and stress they've been doing all week, which is understandable. That's why people take vacations, to get away from the norm. Now, if your norm is doing something fulfilling, something that you love, something that you would do if you weren't getting paid to do it. So for instance, my norm is helping people achieve some type of lifestyle design through their cash flowing assets. I love doing that. I love helping people succeed. That is fulfilling to me that I would do that if nobody paid me a dime. I would do that every single day because it's amazing to see the transformation. It's amazing to see the smiles on people's faces. That's not a job. That's something I do to make myself happy, selfishly. So when I travel and take long trips, I'm not going on vacation. I'm still working because my work is something I love to do. My work is something that brings me joy, that brings me fulfillment. Why would I want to take a break from something that brings me fulfillment? So if your work is not bringing you that fulfillment, it's understandable to go on vacation. That's what vacations are for. But imagine a life where there's no such thing as a vacation. 
you do what you love and you love what you do. And it's all just kind of one big thing. There's no separation between work and play. That's the type of life I dream for all of us. That's what Seth Godin was saying. Seth was saying that it's really a shame to have a life that you feel you need to escape from as a response to the guy that told him that it was really a shame that he felt as though he had to work on vacation. Me podcasting, me coaching, consulting, investing in real estate, I don't want to break from that. So whether I'm at home, I'm in the States, or I'm overseas, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what's fulfilling to me. So I'm not on vacation. Think about that perspective in your life. Think about what you're doing with most of your time. Is that fulfilling? Is that something you need a vacation from? Or are you doing what you love? Don't settle for mediocrity when you can have magnificence. Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Today, I'd like to welcome Tyler Chef to the show. Hey, Tyler, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? Doing pretty well. I'm happy to have you on as a guest. I'm super excited for some of the material that we're going to going to get into. But really, really quick, for you guys that haven't heard about Tyler and who he is, Tyler is the founder of CashflowGuys.com and is a licensed real estate problem solver, educator, investor, and syndicator. Now, Tyler, you've been involved in real estate for over 17 years. So I'd say that your experience is pretty rock solid. And I feel like there, there's so much to learn from maybe your your journey. So let's take it back a little bit. Let's go on a time machine and, and figure out you know how, how you came about this path and, and what your mindset was back then that kind of shifted you towards, towards what you're doing today? Well, for me, I grew up, my mom was a realtor and I grew up in a, in a realtor household. So I'm used to closings and open houses and mom working on Sundays and, and all that good stuff. So part of that helped me develop a good work ethic because <laughs> real estate investing or any type of, of wealth building activity is not for the lazy. That's for sure. There is no substitute for putting in the work that I can assure you. So for me, I grew up in that mindset and I would join the army, did some time in Desert Storm and all that, and got out of the army and kind of didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. So I became a police officer. Seemed like the thing to do at the time. And right up until somebody took a shot at me and almost blew my head off. And I thought, you know, this is not worth 12 bucks an hour. <laughs> and uh, I had a young daughter. My oldest daughter was, had just been born. So this is going back. Oh, see, she's almost 22 now that long, I needed something different. I needed a way that could, I wanted to be an involved dad. My parents were involved with me. I think that helped me a lot in my upbringing, you know, my, in my life, helped me with my confidence. It was important for me to be around for my girls. Now I have two daughters. They're both adults now, but I wanted something to have freedom of my schedule. I think that was very important to me at the time. Still is. So that led me initially into real estate, but I went in because I was also in my early 20s, and I wanted to just get rich quick, man. I wasn't really willing to do the work at the time. I was just like, I just know that I can do flip houses and get rich, and then the rest will figure itself out, which it didn't quite work out that way. So that's kind of the early story early on. Now, for me, I got my license. Let's see, I'm trying to think. I was, I was 30 years old when I got my real estate license, and I was going to, of course, knock it dead in real estate. And I was one of those people that thought if I got my real estate license, it would make me a better investor, which is really not the case. The age old question I get more often than anything is, 
should I get my real estate license? I'm going to be a real estate investor. And the answer is it depends. So but anyway, I wanted to get off track. I decided that I wanted to flip houses and I thought that building piles of money was a way of, of amassing wealth. I didn't realize how far off I was from that. Here's what I figured out real soon is that by anything that you do that accumulates piles of money is usually either illegal or heavily taxed. So I don't know which one's worse, <laughs> paying the IRS or going to jail. But not that I was doing it illegal, but those the, that's the end result of piles of cash. So there's really no good that comes from piles of cash, but I've finally convinced myself. And I got to tell you, Dre, that was, that was a challenge to get through my, my pea brain. Instead, I needed to figure out how to generate streams of income that didn't necessarily rely on me working for it every minute of the day. Because, you know, I'm one guy. I can't do it all by myself. Additionally, I'm human, which means I can get sick, I can get hit by a truck, and I got two girls to, to support. So for me, real estate became the solution. The problem is the way I was doing real estate back in the day, flipping houses, happened to be the most heavily taxed way of investing in real estate that's out there. That was it. I mean, if, if you want to ask, call the IRS and say, how can I give you all the money? They're going to come back and say, flip houses, dude, because that's the way we're going to tax you until there's no tomorrow. So for me, I had to change Tom Wheelwright, who is a, uh, one of the authors under Rich Dad. He talks about, I'm sure you've probably read this book. If you want to change your facts or change your tax, you got to change your facts. So for me, what that meant was I needed to change how I earned my income. You see, that was more important. So I got out of real estate after the crash. Now, going back to flipping houses, I had a whole bunch of real estate. And at one time, I had 10 projects going here in my local area. One At one time, you can imagine that, what was going on, going on at that time. So long story short, I've learned that if I put tenants in them, this is going back to 2005, 2004, the property values were increasing at least 25% per year. So all I had to do is figure out how to hold these things for one year and I could make 25% more. Well, all my houses were going to sell for over hundred grand. So for me, that meant quarter million dollars that I could make more over and above what I was already going to make. And I thought, this is all right. So I became an accidental landlord for a year, realized I did not like managing property. That is not the best thing for me to do. I'm believe it or not, I may not sound like a nice guy, but I really am. <laughs> people are like they think I'm some scary beast and realistically I'm just I'm a nice guy and I can tend sometimes tend to be a pushover I feel sorry for people that's that's one of my big downfalls so property management is not the best use of my time for that reason because I will bankrupt myself ask me how I know but, um, <laughs> I sold off all those properties now I also realized at the time that I thought I was the smartest guy in the room I thought that hiring a CPA was just a waste of money. After all, they wanted probably $1,000 to do my taxes. And that's just stupid. I could do it myself on TurboTax. So I did. And I was probably drinking a beer or two at the time. And I happened to skip over the part where it says, have you sold any real estate or large assets? Oh, man. And I thought, well, yeah, but that's none of your business. Next question. And guess what? I got a bill in the mail from the IRS that had a comma in it and three zeros on one side and three zeros on the other side. And they wanted their money now. You see, my charm did not do anything for them. They didn't really care that I was charming. They wanted their money right away or they were going to throw me in prison probably, God knows. So 
I had to go get a job because I had a huge tax bill I had to pay. And the only way I could figure out how to do that at the time was go get a job because I certainly wasn't going to go flip houses. Fast forward to, I went and got the job, right? I went to go work for the federal government. And what I've learned about working for the Fed is that if you're average, you're exceptional, which means if you just basically show up and do the minimum that they require you to do, they're going to think that you are some saint. So I became, I went into management in like 18 months. I went from nobody at 30 grand a year to management with a base salary of around 60,000 in less than two years. And then my income skyrocketed because they gave me lots of overtime because heaven forbid I actually worked. So I was making just shy of 200 grand a year working for the government, which everybody's like, man, that's awesome. You buy a Lambo. Well, here's the problem. I was a W2 employee making ridiculous income. So what did they do? They taxed me. And at the time, I remember my year-to-date tax obligation exceeded what most of my friends made for a living, a year. Some people say, you should get better friends. (laughs) But realistically, that's just too much tax. That's just, that doesn't make sense. And I had to figure out a way to mitigate my taxes, which ironically, when I Google searched that, how to legally reduce your taxes, I came up with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. Kind of the rest is history. I love that, Tyler. I love that so much. That was that was well said. And it's funny kind of listening to you walk through your progression. Lots of people, when you start out with the urge to create some type of lifestyle design for yourself, you yourself, you, you have two daughters that you're looking after. There are so many people who, for some rhyme or reason, turn to real estate. I don't know if it's like the top, top search thing on Google or if it's the top thing in the results, but we all turn to real estate. And you said before the call, 98% is mindset. Well, 98% of the people don't ever actually do anything in the real estate space. You, you kind of stumbled upon fixing and flipping, which in actuality, like you said, you gave yourself a job. You had to kind of reprogram your mind to figure out how to start creating cash flow so that you wouldn't have to necessarily be there all the time. But even just, let's take it back to even just getting into the real estate space and why most people don't ever really truly get started as much as they have the intention to, as much as they want to. There's this mindset barrier that kind of holds people back. And I, I kind of want you to touch on that. Well, I could start with people are lazy. I hate to say it that way, but I can't sugarcoat it. And one of the reasons why people listen to my show is that they love the fact that I just kind of tell it like it is. So if I offend anybody, I don't apologize. You can send me a nasty email and tell me what a big weenie I am after the show. People are lazy. Americans, for some reason, have this unrealistic expectation that everything should be handed to them on a silver platter. This spans all income levels, all classes, all races, all sexes, everybody. They have this air of entitlement where you go over to Europe. And I lived in Germany when I was in the military for three years. People work themselves to the bone over there. I mean, I don't care what country you go to, what continent. We are the only ones that have this entitlement mentality. You cannot succeed, I don't believe, until you shift that mindset that you're going to have to put in the work. You're going to have to educate yourself. And it's not necessarily easy, but it is simple. I mean, really what we do as investors, it's simple if you let it be, but we tend to make things more difficult and we're not willing to do the work. You know, if you're looking for the magic pill, it's, it's, uh, there's no course out there that's going to give you the magic pill that I can assure you. I love that. 
I love that. So it all kind of starts with doing the work and kind of going down your timeline a little bit. You started fixing and flipping and you started noticing the, the problems in that you had a you had a hefty tax bill, you had a full-time job, and you quickly spun out of that. You you realized that through this purple book that you needed to to start investing for cash flow. I guess this is also a way to mitigate your tax bill as well. So kind of talk about the next progression. Once you picked up that book, what were some of the first things that you started doing in your in your real estate investing career? One of the first things I realized that I I thought I needed money and I didn't take rich dad, poor dad seriously. Initially, when I first got, I got the book probably 10, 15 years before I read it the second time, I read like two, three chapters. And at the time I'm like, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. So I, you know, I don't have any money for any of this garbage to even work. I mean, what I had my checking account barely paid for the book, let alone anything else. So there was none of this, put your pay yourself first stuff because Tyler wasn't getting paid enough to begin with at the time. When I read it the second time, I was in a little different situation. But what I learned pretty early on, not necessarily from that book, but from one of my mentors, Jay Massey, is that really money is a mindset. And it comes down to, I don't necessarily need my money. I just need money. I need, obviously it takes money to get a deal done, but it doesn't necessarily have to be my money. And realistically, my mindset shifted to, it's not fair of me to hoard all the gold. I believe that I, I truly believe this, and this comes from, from deep inside that I have a, a talent of finding opportunity and I am good at leading people. Other people don't share that talent. Other people have talents that I don't have. So that is what, why I was put on this earth is to educate and lead other people to success. There are an amazing amount of people out there in the world that have hundreds of millions of dollars sitting idle that they don't know what to do with. And they are lied to by the school system, by Wall Street, that you're supposed to work 40 hours a week for your entire life and then retire and settle for less money than what you were making while you were working. And that never made sense to me. The second lie is you should take some of that hard-earned money and send it to a total stranger on Wall Street that you're never going to meet who gets paid by you whether he wins or she wins or loses with your retirement account. This never made sense to me and I could never find anybody that could explain it. I'm not an idiot, but I could never find anybody to explain it to me that it made sense because it doesn't make sense. It's the great American lie. Yeah. And that's kind of what founded Cashflow Guys. It's like, I, I gotta tell other people this because if everybody keeps living this lie, we're all going to go poof at some point. Everybody's going to be broke or worse. I'm going to have to support them. And that's not any fun. So when, when did Cashflow Guys come about? In 2014, I launched Cashflow Guys because I realized that in, to some degree, real estate is a good old boy program. The people that hold the gold and have all the answers in a lot of cases were unwilling to share the information. There are other people that are more than willing to share the information, but they feel that it should cost $50,000 to learn how to buy a $50,000 house. That didn't make sense to me. That math didn't work because that makes the house a hundred grand. So based on that, I had to re-educate myself because I was the mind of, of a realtor and a house flipper, probably the two worst combinations you could have into a buy and hold guy. So as I learned, I documented that journey in the form of a podcast. And as I made mistakes, I would teach the audience what not to do. Here's the dumb thing that Tyler did this week. Don't do that. Or I heard this happened and I checked into it, so don't do this. And then I would bring people on that I would normally be intimidated to talk to. People that I looked up to that had the answers, I brought them on and interviewed them 
and ask them really the questions that I wanted to know, because here's what I realized. I'm just a regular dude like everybody else. I may own a bunch of apartment buildings, but that doesn't make me any different. What makes me different is, is that I figured out a way to get the answers to the questions I had. And for me, a podcast was that vehicle. I started, now I can reach out to anybody. I'm the press after all, right? I'm the media. So I can reach out to anybody and get them on my show and ask them questions. I've got attorneys that line up to get on my show. I haven't paid for legal assistance in quite a while. <laughs> because attorneys just love to come on the show, get notoriety and give me free advice. So a lot of the questions that you hear me ask on interviews, those are the questions that I want to know. Yep. And the people that follow my show and follow me on social media, they have the same questions in oh, most cases. So, love that. so the time period kind of leading up to you starting this podcast, what were you doing in, in the real estate space? Had you already started buying rentals to cash flow or started buying apartments to cash flow? Or were you looking to do that? And you kind of touched on some of the things that you saw out in the space when you saw these gurus charging you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And then you saw people hoarding information and not giving it to the people. And you saw, you saw a need in the space. So I just kind of want to walk through that time period with you right before the launch of the podcast and what you were doing in the real estate space and kind of the need that you saw to start the podcast. Short story. My wife and I were under contract to buy a duplex that we lived in. I'm a veteran. So I've got VA mortgage benefits. I have good credit and great income working for the government, right? I knew that I'm 47 years old now. Back then, that wasn't that long ago. For me to continue working out there and beating my body to death in the winter of the North Atlantic was probably not going to work for me. So I was looking for an exit strategy. Real estate was the answer. I had to figure it out. So what I did, we thought we we're going to buy the duplex, live in one side, rent the other. That would get us started. And then we kind of figure it out from there. The goal was, is that if we could, if I could duplicate my income, I had six months paid leave. You see, I had so much overtime racked up. I was taking comp time, what they call compensatory time. So I had six months paid leave from my government job saved up. And I took all six months and took a six month sabbatical. And I tried to set it and we figured out if I could make half of my annual income working for the government, being at home, I would resign my employment from the government and come to work, stay at home. So I got, I renewed my real estate license because I let it lapse. I got into real estate. I learned the principles of wholesaling real estate. I put my own flair on it being licensed. So I was able to do it legally and ethically and, and make money in the process. And, a win-win. In six months, I actually made more in six months at home in real estate than I did in 12 months working for the government. And I was a six-figure income earner working for the government. That gave me proof of concept. And then at that point, I resigned from government employment. And then we bought a fourplex. was our first property. That provided that stream of income. I used my VA mortgage to do that. Fast forward to today, that same fourplex generates $5,000 a month in net revenue for us. We use it as a vacation rental. That's incredible. So it's a great base. So now I've got a regular paycheck that I don't really have to work for. One property launched us out of the rat race. From there on out, it was I learned how to raise capital and I got people on board with what I was doing. They wanted to do it too. They invest the capital. My team does the work and then we go buy these assets. I give them a note and a mortgage. So I get to help other people retire now besides just me, which is awesome. So we've built my portfolio. My wife and I have got a nice, tidy portfolio now and a bunch of passive income. And we just keep building upon that. I love that. I love that. Talk about that, that first fourplex for a little bit. How did that help alleviate you or how did that help you escape the right race? Talk kind of maybe if you remember the numbers on that. I do. First of all, everybody told me I was not allowed to own multifamily because I didn't have the experience. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I've been in real estate for, at the time I was like 14 years, whatever, 13 years. 
don't tell me what I can't do. You don't have any, you're not the, who are you? You're the seller or the broker. Either way, I'm paying you. So shut up, step aside, I'm coming in. And I fought back and I got my door slammed in my face a lot, especially by brokers. You, you're not old enough. You're not strong. You're not mature enough. You're not, you don't have any experience, whatever it may be. Well, I said, well, I got a letter of pre-approval and I found a property that happened to be listed by the owner. The owner was a broker who basically did the same thing. They moved here from overseas, somewhere from Poland, I think it was, and they were self-made folks. So they were very down to earth and I could have a conversation with them. I put that deal together. I paid 210,000 for that property, or I believe it was 215, one of those, I can never get that straight. And at the time I had three units vacant that at the time they were, when they were rented up, they were only renting for 600 bucks a month. So I fixed them up. I, I used credit cards literally to fix them up because I, I was able to buy it with none of my own money using the fact that it was a VA mortgage. I got a friend of mine who was a realtor to come in and claim a commission and then credit me back the real estate commission on it. I got the title company and the lender to give me lender credits and, and credits from the title company. So I not only didn't put any of my money into the deal, I actually got paid. I got a check for 1700 bucks for overage for deposits and, and advance rents on the one unit. So I got paid to buy this place. And I was like, this is cool. Fixed it all up nice. It was generating $2,700 a month gross right out of the gate, which is huge from where it was. Obviously my wife and I are living in one unit because I'm a veteran and I have to reside in it for 12 months. This is going back to 2014. Fast forward to today, I just had that property reappraised and did a refinance. The property, remember I paid 210. I've improved it. I spent about 50 grand in improving it. It appraised at $429,000. I went to USAA. I, got ref I did a refinance. I pulled out a bunch of equity. Okay. I, I have no debt whatsoever, even before this. So it was easy to get a mortgage. I have no debt. I now have a pile of, of, of tax-free cash. Because remember, borrowed money is tax-free. Because you have to pay it back. Well, I don't really have to pay it back. The tenants do. And we've changed how we use that property. We now rent two units as vacation rentals and one unit as a long-term rental. So that property now generates on average of $5,000 net income every month, five grand a month, one property. Now we've built our portfolio since then, but this one property is like, the rest of them could all go up in flames. It doesn't matter. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. When I say I, my story is, is almost identical to yours when it comes to buying my first fourplex, like I got turned down by so many lenders, so many brokers. There was a situation in which, you, of course, I had no experience at the time. And I, I, I approached a, a broker that had a property for sale and it was a triplex. And I ended up buying a fourplex, but it was a triplex. And she didn't want to let me tour the property. She didn't, I didn't, she didn't think I had the balance sheet. And she was just like, you know, don't waste my time, so on and so forth. And I was just like, lady, I promise, like, you know, we're, we're going to be okay. I'm, I'm on the phone with my lender now he's going to send over the pre-approval and so on and so forth. And this is a lender I had been working with for the past seven to nine months. And we built a relationship. He almost looked at me as like a son. And I thought that everything was copacetic. And, and, and when I immediately told him that I shifted my mindset from buying single family, because that's what I was buying at the time to multifamily, you know, he didn't see me as a multifamily investor, or as an investor at all. He was just like, are you sure you want to do that? You know, do you know what you're doing? So on and so forth. So when it came time, I headed to the property to, to go see it. And she was like, as long as you bring your pre-approval, 
Google, you know, we're going to be okay. And I was like, don't worry. Like I'll have it sent to my email right before, before I get there. So I'm on my way. I'm, I'm calling my lender and he's not picking up the phone. I call his son. He's not picking up the phone. So long story short, I find out that as soon as he found out what I was doing, I wanted to move to multifamily. He didn't have the, I don't know if he had the trust in me. He had, he, he knew that I didn't have the balance sheet whatsoever, but he, he completely just disregarded any phone call I, I made to him from then on out. So little situations like that. I had another property of fourplex that I went to go visit and the broker, after we, we toured the property, he stopped returning my phone calls. And this was a property I was looking to buy like immediately. And I was like super anxious and I ran my numbers. I did my analysis and I thought, oh my goodness, it's going to pan out. It's going to be amazing. He was doubtful. He didn't want to present an offer to the seller if he didn't think that I was going to be able to close and so on and so forth. So I ended up contacting my mentor, my, my real estate mentor. And I was like, hey, this is some of the problems I'm going through. And he was just like, hey, contact this broker and he's going to be able to take care of you. Long story short, the agent that stopped returning my phone calls, he works for the broker that I was recommending. <laughs> So, so I ended up talking to the broker and I was like, Hey, this is the property I'm trying to buy. He was like, I'm so sorry for that agent. He toured the property for me. He toured the property with me himself. He gave me some of his recommendations. He put me in contact with the owner. We closed on the property. It was amazing. And of course he got the commission rather than the, the agent that didn't think that I would be able to close. And that was an amazing story, but yeah. So, I mean, kind of same, sim- similar concept now it's a fourplex that a couple of the units are being short-term vacation rentals and it's cash flowing just to be able to have that. I think that, that have that as a start especially as a real estate investor, I think that that bodes well. And that's the best way to get in, get in especially if you have no experience. You have no experience. And I, let's say you didn't have a VA loan and, and things like that. With no experience trying to buy a fourplex, trying to buy a small multifamily, a lot of people will run into a lot of barriers that will possibly prevent them from succeeding. So kind of just knowing that going in, knowing that there, there are certain ways to get in, you know, some of the, some of the things that you use, they're amazing. I mean, using lender credits, like that's phenomenal, like getting an agent to, to come in and behave as if they, they were, they were in the deal from the get go. That's amazing. Like these are things that a lot of people don't hear about. They, they literally hear, I have to put 25% down and I don't have that amount of money. So I'm just going to stop in my tracks. I'm not going to do anything. But if you kind of find ways to persevere and, and find ways to figure it out, it's, I mean, if you, if you never give up, you, you can never fail. You just have to keep going. A fail, failure starts the, the minute that you give up. So Tyler, I'm, I'm, I love that you touched on that. So let's fast forward a little bit. Let's talk, let's talk more about, about the podcast and what, what that has done for your business now, because I see a podcast as a thought leadership platform. You know, as you said, you're able to reach out to anybody that you want these days and ask all types of questions that you want. That's your benefit. But there are lots of benefits that I, that I think that you're giving your audience that sometimes that we take for granted podcasting and how long you've been podcasting. There's so many, like, like you said, you're, you're giving away tons of information. What kind of connections, what kind of maybe success stories have, have you had through your podcast or have some of the guests that listen to your podcast had after listening to your podcast? For me, it was, I'm not necessarily a technical guy. Now I've been studying digital marketing and whatnot because I, I want to build my brand and expand my brand. But besides that, I, I'm not the guy that like takes computers, bar puts them back together. That's not me. So podcasting, I thought was going to be a hurdle. What I realized, it's as simple as plugging a microphone into a laptop and call it done. So for me, number one, it became, I I picked up an audience really quick because I talked about things that I care about, things that I'm passionate about. I was, my mindset was not, you know, some people start a podcast because they want to make money off the show. They want to have commercials or do whatever they want to do. And that was never really what my mindset was. I wanted to use it as a way to, number one, gain more confidence in myself. It, it forced me to be a better investor because I had to know what the heck I'm talking about before I can get on there and talk about it. Second, I needed to let people know that they could do this too because as I discovered that 
this was simple, what we do, it was like, I had this epiphany, like, I got to share this with the whole world. And I did. And so a couple of stories have happened. I've had thousands of emails. I've been doing it now two years. We just dropped episode 100 two weeks ago. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> I got a big audience, well over a quarter million of my audience now. It's mind blowing how many people I've reached. But what's cool is that people, I do this thing called Ask Tyler and, and it's on Fridays where I have my time to give back. I figure I take, take, take all week. Like at least I can give back on Friday, right? So I give back on Friday. That's my freebie day. I give, I do a free little hour TV show in the mornings to help folks. And I do take calls from listeners in the afternoon by appointment, but it's pretty cool. And it's like guys call you or girls call you and they burst into tears. And it's like, what I've learned from you, you've changed my life. You've taught me that I can do this. And I did it. And I, I got my first duplex or, you know, I had a guy a couple of weeks ago. This is no joke. This man is blind, right? So he can't even see, he can't read contract, anything. Talk about lack of confidence big time. So I talked to him twice. It was, he's not even, he, at the time he wasn't an American citizen. He moved here from Russia and got himself squared away, learned to speak English. I, mind you, he's blind, figured out by reading Braille books. I didn't know they books like Rich Dad Poor Dad. I don't think about that, right? Yeah. So he was on, on YouTube. He pays attention to my YouTube channel and heard my podcast. And based on what he learned in my podcast, he took action and he got himself a 10 unit apartment building. He raised the capital, found the deal, negotiated the deal, went through the due diligence. He had to rely on his team because wow. the man can't see. He can't see if the building's pink, purple, or green. He's legally blind. And he had every challenge that you could possibly imagine upon him. And he still did it. Another couple, they moved here. One of them was from Hungary. The other, the husband was from Italy. I've actually had him on my show twice, even Aaliyah. They listened to the show and, and telling their story of overcoming all the adversity. Neither one of them could speak English when they got to the States. They didn't speak the same language between them. And they had literally no money. I mean, it's a true, like you see on TV story, like rags to riches. And granted, they're not, you know, Donald Trump rich or anything, but they're doing quite well for themselves, might I add. They're well-known, respected members of society. They're good people. They pay their bills and, and they're living the American dream. In part, by telling that story, I had people calling and writing and sending in videos and the people that are outpouring of support for them. It's just been mind-blowing how many people out there need what we offer as podcasters. So it's been a game changer for me. I, it's become a labor of love. I told my wife, I'm like, I know I'm retired, but I enjoy, this is the first time I've ever really enjoyed what I do. Yeah. People ask me, what do you do? I'm a podcaster. I also invest in real estate, but I'm a podcaster. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm an influencer. That, that's really what I wanted to be when I grow up. And here I am. I love it. I love it, Tyler. That, that speaks volumes and, and kind of progressing a little bit further down your path. So you started, you started buying cash flow rentals. At what point did you decide that to scale further or to scale faster? You started using other people's money. When did that kind of incorporate itself into your game plan? Right out of the gate. After I did the fourplex here, well, I was tapped. That's all I had. And of course, I just quit my job. So there's that. <laughs> so my wife was working and I had the income from the fourplex and that was it. So I started learning how to do use options and things like that to boost some cash flow. But I learned quickly how to raise capital by instead of running ads and doing all that hokey stuff that gurus talk about, I started talking to people. And I learned that by educating people on what they could do with their money, 
simply educating them, not sitting down trying to sell them something or beg them for money. I would simply teach people how to do exactly what I do. I realized that 99% of the people that I'm going to teach are either unwilling or unable to do it themselves and will come to me to handle that for them. So raising capital for me became quite simple. I simply taught you how to do everything that I can do. You probably realize that's more work than you want to do. And you say, Tyler, how about I write you a check? What kind of return can I get? What kind of return do you need? And the rest is history. And, and that's how we started doing deals. Meanwhile, everybody else is doing these complex spreadsheets and calculations and cap rate and all this other garbage that nobody understands but them. And frankly, they don't even understand it half the time. And the, the investors only invest because they're afraid of looking stupid after you look at 749 pages of a prospectus. I don't use any of that crap. I sit down with my people. It's like, so I got a 30 unit building. I can get it for $10,000 a door. And in 10 years, I'm going to re restructure the debt on this thing. And I'm going to pay you off and give you X amount on top of that. What do you think? Cool. Yeah. And you get to be an equity partner in the deal and, and this, that, and the other. Cool. Do you got an attorney? Yeah, I got one too. I'm going to have my attorney call your attorney, my CPA call your CPA. You and I need to go have a beer. They're going to sort out the details. Ready, set, go. And that's my sales pitch. That's pretty much how it works. Love it, love it, love it. And that's how you've been able to grow your business so rapidly since then. Absolutely. That's amazing. Absolutely. Tyler. That's and for me, you know, mindset. When I'm raising capital, you're not loaning me money. I'm helping you build wealth. Yeah. That is what I truly believe. It's my job to help you build wealth. Because if you knew how to do it, you wouldn't have a pile of money sitting in an IRA doing nothing. Exactly. When you had your government job, what type of retirement fund, were you investing in retirement funds or did you take all your money and put it in real estate? I was in the thrift savings plan, which is the government's version of a 401k. And they claim it's low fees and this, that. They don't tell you how often they fee. I mean, like monthly in some cases. So I kept trying to figure out why my balance would decline even when the market was up, my balance would go down. I'm going, and they spent a lot of time convincing themselves of how wonderful they were, which I realized that should be running on the wall in the first place. <laughs> and they spent a lot of time, the government spent a lot of time trying to talk us into dumping most of our paychecks into there, which I did, and then quickly realized what was going on. And so what I did is I borrowed it all back because they have a program at the time, it was like 0.7% interest. I could borrow back almost all of my funds. So I did. I borrowed back my funds. I bought non-performing notes with the money and then paid back the loan. And then when I got out of the government, when I left the government, I rolled over those TSP funds to a self-directed IRA. Amazing. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, Tyler, this has been, this has been an amazing episode so far. And I kind of can't wait to get into our accelerated lifestyle design hacks, but you know, just, just rounding out the segment, I just, so maybe give us some tips as far as landlords go. This is a little bit, a little bit into the weeds of real estate, but give us some tips into maximizing profitability as a landlord. First of all, never get the mindset that you are above your tenants. Never, ever have that mindset. You need to be in a position to where when you, if you were going to manage property yourself, which I think is the, about the dumbest thing anybody could do, but if you're absolutely going to be that stubborn, and most people will at least try it, make sure you buy property that has tenants that match you. In other words, if you are a middle class, you shop at Target and drink Starbucks kind of person, you should own that kind of rental property. Don't go buy some big fancy place on the beach and don't go buy some slum in the hood because you're not gonna be able to identify with either one of those types of tenants, which means you will fail. 
Here's a good example of that. I own low-income housing in Memphis. That's the majority of what we own in Memphis. I, at the time I bought it, did not understand the tenant. Fortunately, my property managers did, and that's why I was successful. Because my wife and I were going, well, we should put flowers out front. And my property manager was going, no, dude, we're putting in high-intensity LED lighting and steel doors so these old people don't get attacked by teenagers. Like, oh. So as I learned, I learned my, who my tenant is, and I frankly asked them, I'll be honest with you, I asked them, what do you need to feel more comfortable living here? My mindset is my tenant is my customer. They're not some subhuman piece of garbage because they rent. We've all rented at some point. So they are my equal. It is my job to serve them. That is my mindset. I love that. And it shows, and that's why I don't have the vacancy loss and the drama that a lot of landlords have. I don't worry about tenants and toilets. It's not a problem. I love that. You mentioned something about we shouldn't manage our own properties. Why, why do you believe that? Well, number one, property management is probably the lowest pay for the most amount of work I've ever seen in my life as far as a job goes. I mean, I'm, you could be more profitable digging ditches than managing property. You can't do everything well. So if you're busy taking a call from an angry tenant or worse, you didn't take a call from a tenant and now they're angry, you've created a situation there that's going to cost you money. If you're busy being a property manager, you can't be busy raising capital or finding more deals. You can't do it all. And if you're a property manager, you are married to those properties 24, seven, 365. You're supposed to be doing this to obtain freedom. You're not free if you're a slave to your properties. You're not. And frankly, it makes more sense to train people to do that who are better at it than you. For example, one of the property management companies that works for me, they've been in business since 1943. Says a lot. They know what they're doing. They tell me what to do, pretty much. I just cash checks. That's my job. And that's a beautiful arrangement. So that's what I would do in every case is always, always, always hire out management. Full disclosure. My little fourplex I live at, I do manage this one because I live here. And honestly, two out of the four units are short-term rentals. So the Airbnb clients, which I have a team that services that. And then the other one is a long-term tenant. She's been here forever and she's no bother. So. I love that. I love that. And what it sounds like it boils down to when it comes to property management is what's your opportunity cost? And I find that as much as that, that concept comes natural to a lot of us entrepreneurs, there are some entrepreneurs that that concept, it's hard to explain. Can you kind of break down that concept of opportunity costs and how you can figure out if, if the cost benefit analysis of property management, managing your own property or outsourcing that is better? I had to first tell myself, how figure out for myself, how much is my time worth, an hour of my labor, what is my income generating time worth? Not the time I spend with my wife or my kids or anything like that or out fishing, but when I'm out, when I'm in earning mode, what is that worth? Put a dollar figure on that. And for me, it was $500. So for every hour I work, I want to generate at least $500. So an eight hour day, do the math, that's $4,000 a day. I work five days a week, let's say, you know, it, it goes up. That said, anything that I can hire to have done for less than that number, I will hire to have done. Because when I am laser focused on income generating activities, I'm earning at least $500 an hour. So for me, and, and you should too, I don't care if you're flipping houses, it doesn't matter whatever your figure is, it should be well into the hundreds of dollars, it should be equal to or greater than what an attorney would charge. 
if you're in real estate. Because if you say, I'm worth $10 an hour, then you're never going to get anywhere in real estate. I set the bar high and then I worked up to it. I went through that period of, geez, I paid my attorney 300 an hour. I don't think I'm any smarter than him and I'm saying I'm worth five. But the more I realized that what that forced me to do is to say, how much did that job cost? 300 bucks an hour? Well, he's an expert at it. So I'm going to hire him to do it because I don't know what I'm doing. So for me to do it, it's going to cost 500 an hour. See how the mindset works? Yep. Once I grasped that concept, everything changed. I surrounded myself with experts and I became the dumb guy in the room, which is the way it should be. Trust me. Let's round out the segment with what type of experts should we be surrounding ourselves with? You know, we talk about team building. Why is it not advantageous doing things alone, especially as a solopreneur? Why do we need to surround ourselves with experts and what type of experts do we need, especially for starting out? Number one, you cannot do it on your own. If you think you can do it on your own, you're going to fail. I don't care what you're doing. If you're a blogger, you're going to need somebody in your team to do some things. That's just the reality of it. So get it out of your mind. Anybody needs to has that mindset needs to change that mindset immediately. You absolutely need help. As a real estate investor, my core people are my property managers because they keep the money flowing, my attorneys and my CPAs. Because the two points that I can bleed financially is things that involve the law or things that involve taxation. So my attorney helps me on the higher level stuff, maintain more profitability, helps make sure I don't get ripped off because I deal with a lot of different people and there's a lot of scumbags in the world, unfortunately. So he helps protect me from that. He and his team are that brick wall. I do syndications in real estate. So I've got a, an SEC compliance attorney. I've got several different attorneys that are experts in specific things. I've got a real estate attorney, a tax attorney. I've got a SEC attorney. So that when I have a, a question come up, I, number one, I have a referral source. And number two, I can get the expert's opinion. So if things do go wrong, I've got someone to defend me and say, well, I got this from my SEC attorney. He's supposed to know what he's doing. So I don't know what to tell you. Same thing with the CPA. I insist that my CPAs must own real estate, not the house they live in, investment rental property, you know, rental property. I will not have a CPA do any work for me, not even get near my books unless they own rental property. My CPA, Charles Sapiro, owns a nice portfolio of properties. He maximizes the tax advantages of being a landlord. That's why he's on my team. So those are your core people, the tax and legal people, in my opinion, in management. I love that. I love that. And that kind of translates to all businesses. I think you need a CPA for any business that you're in and you need a property manager, whether that's a, a manager for your business or a virtual assistant, you need some type of manager. And most people know how to get CPAs and managers, but let's talk a little bit to the to people who are like, well, I'm just now starting out and getting an attorney. You, you talk about all these attorneys, you talk about SEC attorneys, you talk about real estate attorneys, and I'm starting out, I have little to no funds. What type of attorney do I need? And, and how do I kind of consolidate this? And where do I start with all of that? You know, up until a few weeks ago, I would have given you a different answer that I'm going to give you now. I signed up for recently prepaid legal. And I believed in it so much that I became a, we offer it now as one of the services to our clients and the people that we teach. And the prepaid legal gives you access to a whole bunch of attorneys that are experts in different topics. And here's the thing. It's 40 bucks a month. If you can't afford 40 bucks a month, you got no business being in real estate in the first place because you're here because you think you can get rich, which means you're going to get poor. So for 40 bucks a month, you can sign up for through us, the, the prepaid legal. And then you have that year round traffic tickets, all the things that are going to suck money out of you. You've got an attorney there to say, Hey, I'm trying to come up with a wholesale contract. 
I found this one on Google. Can you review it for me and see if it applies to whatever state you're in's law? And they will. And they'll tell you, well, you might want to change this, change that, change whatever. So I would start right there because you're going to get that general advice. When it comes down to a deal specific, you want to use a real estate attorney. And yes, these are real costs. You're going to have to spend a minimum of 300 bucks to engage the services of a real estate attorney if you have legal questions in a deal. If you can find a, an agent or a title company that is really investor friendly, sometimes maybe get a, a mentor in, a, in your local market, that would help too. But they don't substitute a good attorney. I'll tell you that. Because don't think that things won't go wrong. Eventually something will go wrong and you'll, need, you'll be glad that you already have established a relationship with them. I love that. And especially the, the, the whole prepaid legal thing. This is my first time hearing about that, but that sounds like an, a fascinating business. So I definitely want, or I encourage our listeners to look into that. So it's $40 for unlimited service, $40 a month, and you can kind of have them review your contracts and different things like that. Yep. They'll even set up LLCs for you. Oh, wow. Here's the thing. You go to an attorney, they're going to charge you normally 750 bucks to set up an LLC. Every guru on the planet tells you you need 17 LLCs to be an investor, which is not true. When you need that advice, do I need an LLC for this or not? You can pick up the phone, call these, these people, 40 bucks. They're going to tell you yes, no, in between. But if you do need one, it's included in the plan. It's like 140 bucks for an LLC is free. I mean, really, if you think about it, versus paying some attorney 750 to do it for you or more. I've actually heard somebody recently that paid five grand to a guru to have an, an LLC made up. My like, goodness. People. I used to hear about those stories late in the 90s, but that's still going on. <laughs> oh, it still goes on today. Because there's the, just wait, just done. If, if you act now. <laughs> God, here we go. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, we can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit joefearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite before the millions book? My favorite before the millions book. I've got to say equity happens written by robert helms and russell gray it's called equity happens okay i have not heard of the book but i am familiar with both of those individuals i'm actually going to a conference tomorrow how to win funds and influence people have you heard of it oh yes i'm jealous i wanted to go to that <laughs> yeah it's it, it's gonna be fun <laughs> i was gonna be going to that and then i forgot about it and didn't buy the ticket on it but i'm gonna be going next year so that'll be great anything okay. they put on is top notch that's what that's what I keep hearing. That's what I keep hearing. I'm, I also just subscribed to their podcast, so I'm super interested in, in learning a lot from them. So that's amazing. So they they wrote that book and quickly touch touch on what that book's about. It basically it's a, it's told in the form of a story of a guy going through the journey of becoming a real estate investor, going through the the mindset shifts 
Like, you know, should I or shouldn't I borrow money from my house? What do I do with the money once I have it? Do I quit my job or keep my job? And it goes through that whole process. So it's kind of like taking all the good stuff of, of Rich Dad, Poor Dad and all the good tutorial books and mashing it together in one really well-written documentary, I guess you can call it. But it's just an amazing book. It was a game changer for me. Really changed how you view money. Okay, I'll have to add that to the book list. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? That can be a business app or tool. Oh boy, that, I can come up with so many. I'm gonna have to say, I guess we'll start with Evernote. I love Evernote. What is Evernote? Evernote is a software that, number one, it helps you keep track of all your notes. So if you've got a project like, let's say you're looking at a 123 Anywhere Street house, anything, photographs, notes, documents related to that can all go in that folder. You can write on it if you're an Apple person with an Apple pen, you can write in there and, and you can share documents within a project. It's kind of like a project management slash note management tool. And we live in a digital world and fortunately on camera, you can't see my desk right now. <laughs> I'm trying to eliminate paper from my life because sometimes it gets overwhelming. I haven't been at my desk in a couple of days and my wife has been dropping stuff off. <laughs> I know how that goes. <laughs> Next question. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? I control my time. I have complete control over my time now. I am not somebody else's wage slave. I go and do what I want. Last night I went to a RIA meeting because I wanted to, not because I had to or, or anything else. And I got to leave when I wanted to stay late as I want. And I love it. Me as well. <laughs> what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? I had to learn how to become uncomfortable and be okay with it to the point that, and, and this recently in my episode 100, I interviewed this young lady, her name is Stacy Cross, amazing motivational speaker, young girl. She had, she's just getting started, but she's awesome. I highly recommend anybody. It's, it's called, I can't think of the name of it now. Stacy Cross is the, it'll come to me before the end of the show, but anyway, Stacy Cross was awesome in talking about getting uncomfortable. Comfort killers, that's what it is, comfort killers. And that's actually what happened. had to happen to me. I was really comfortable. I had a great six-figure government job. Dude, they paid me to sit on my duff and do nothing. I felt guilty a lot because of it. So I worked three times as hard as everybody else because I felt bad for the kind of money they were paying me. The reality of that is, is I needed to get uncomfortable to get financially free. The government owned me. They put me on a ship and sent me out to sea for a month and a half at a time without seeing land. They owned my life. They owned my schedule. They forced me away from my children. You know, that, at least they had total control over my life. That had to change. And when I realized that the only way I was gonna be able to succeed was to get uncomfortable, I got uncomfortable and I stayed there. And anytime I get even close to being comfortable, I push harder, even harder. Like right now, it's real easy. I got plenty of income and I have absolutely no debt. That sucks. I, mean, I want to go get uncomfortable again. So, so, so let me ask an intermediary question then, Tyler. What, so what's next for you? I want to ramp up my teaching. I want to spend, I recently went to a conference called FinCon in Dallas, a financial conference where they, I met a lot of financial bloggers, people that spend all day writing blogs and doing podcasts and videos. This is what they do for a living. Educating other people and the passion I saw from the bloggers and I'm so glad there's a lot of millennials there because now I've restored my faith in humanity. <laughs> They're not all watching video games and blaming their parents for whatever. Hey, I, hey, I was there. <laughs> yeah, I bet you. And I've learned that there's a big movement of people that really want to help other people get financially free. And I, and I want to lead that charge. So 
I'm going to spend, now that I don't have to work as hard anymore, I'm going to spend a lot of my time, especially in 2018, educating a larger number of people. I want to really upset the apple cart and get a lot of people financially free. I love that. That's amazing. That that should be the mission. I mean, that's that's the goal. That's that's what brings fulfillment. And I think as long as that that's what brings you fulfillment and it's helping other people, you can't go wrong. So that's amazing. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Two people initially, I would say Jay Massey is one of my mentors. He's with Cashflow Diary. He was everybody. People have accused him of being a guru, and boy, are they miss are they off. Yeah, I don't really know him, but I, I mean, I've seen like the cover, the cover art of his podcast, and I think I maybe I've heard him on one other podcast. He sounds like a guru. Yeah, he sounds like one, but he's, <laughs> he's probably one of the most gifted individuals you'll ever meet. He came from nowhere and learned bootstrap, and and I'm he's really he changed my mindset. He he unlocked that success mindset in me that I, just, I was good at things before, but now I'm great at them and I'm really good at what I do. And he helped me get out of my own way. Him and Larry Harbolt, Larry Harbolt has been become like family to us. He's a legendary real estate educator, the old stage speakers from many years ago. He's been in the business 37 years, teaching for like 18, 20 years. He took me under his wing and mentored me one-on-one. -on -one. I helped him produce his podcast and I still do to this day. So in exchange for me producing his show, using my studio and all that, he mentored me and really got helped me get over whatever the mindset issues I had left over that Jay didn't beat out of me. Larry did and really master helped me master the art of, of raising capital, number one, but more importantly, negotiating. I got really, really good at negotiating between him and Jay. That That's was amazing. huge. That's amazing. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? Boy, that's a tough question. I got about 35 answers for that. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> people believe that they, people think they, they're more willing to decide on the end of something before they even try it. Mm. In other words, in a real estate analogy would be, you're going to write an offer to a seller. Well, he'll never take terms. They only want cash. They want all the cash. They want full price and they want, they want cash. And the reality, while you're busy thinking that, I'm gonna walk right around you, walk up there and walk out with a deed in my name. Because you're wrong. If you assume, and I had to, and this was hard for me to get through my thick head. If you assume, this I guarantee you're gonna be wrong. Guaranteed. So stop assuming. In closing, I hope that the, the audience, I know I have, but I hope that the audience has have, have taken away some valuable nuggets from our conversation, Tyler, how we've walked through your journey and it's been simply amazing. I love how you switched your mindset and how you've, you're now a cash flow guy. That's amazing. And I definitely have to start listening to your podcast. It sounds super incredible. So thank you for sharing your story with us and guiding us through your Before the Millions process. If the listeners kind of want to reach out to you or, or, or learn a little bit more about you, how can they do that? The best way is through my website. That's cashflowguys.com, cashflowguys.com. And if you guys are interested in, the, in the, the prepaid legal scenario that we're talking about, you just put a forward slash legal on the end of that, cashflowguys.com forward slash legal. That'll get the word out for that as well. Definitely. Well, Tyler, thank you so much. And we'll have all of that in, in the show notes. And we'll definitely have to bring you back on for part two because this was amazing. So we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you.